right. Good morning, guys. I'm glad I have another opportunity to speak today. Um, Pastor Ron asked me to continue uh, Mark 15, and that's what we're going to be diving into today. Just continue the series we've been doing um, these past couple of weeks. Well, actually, two years. I'm sorry. It's been a while. I was actually, I remember Sarah and I had our anniversary in 2020. That's when we started, Mark, and now it's 2022 and we're still in it. So it's amazing. We're almost done. But that's good. That's very good. Good things can take time. That's right, Mr. Norman. Okay. So um, our text for today is going to be Mark 15, verses 40 until 47. We're going to be talking about the burial. It's going to be kind of a different sermon today because I'm preaching as well, but I'm going to be teaching a lot just to kind of give you guys a context and also the people that are involved. I want us to kind of know who they are and what we can learn from them, okay? So uh, just to kind of give an introduction, uh, Pastor Ron preached uh, a couple weeks ago. He preached on the cross and Jesus' last words uh, while hanging on it, okay? He showed how those words explain what what Christ accomplished for us by dying on the cross. It was wonderful, very encouraging, something that we always need to always need to be here to hear and be reminded of as Christians. So what we see now, the scene of where we are right now in our text in Mark 15, we see Jesus is now dead on the cross. The veil of the temple, which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the, sec- of the section of the temple, uh, from the sanctuary, was torn from top to bottom. Uh, this, and we also find the centurion who stood by the cross of Jesus and saw how he died expressed his faith in who Jesus is. And like I mentioned earlier, in this sermon, we're going to look at Jesus' burial and at the actions of those involved in it and what we can learn from it, okay? So if you can turn to Mark 15, I'm going to start in verses 40 to 41. Mark 15, verses 40 to 41. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, Jesus, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So basically, we see in this verse, it mentions the women that were looking at a distance at Jesus' body, uh, his dead body on the cross. And these were the same women who served Jesus and his disciples during his uh, earthly ministry. So the question now we want to ask is, who are these women? Okay? Mary Magdalene was a woman who Jesus cast out, cast seven demons out of her. We see that in Luke 8, 2. Mary was the mother of James, son of Alphaeus. He was one of the 12 apostles. She also had a son named Joseph. Salome, Salome was the mother of the apostles James and John, sons of Zebedee. The other women may be a reference to Joanna, the wife of uh, Cusa, Susanna, and other women, who, other women who supported Jesus and his disciples out of their private means. We see that in, in Luke 8, verses 2 to 3. So now, okay, we see who these women are. So how do, they, how do these women show their devotion to Christ? First of all, they followed him. They accompanied him and his disciples. Two, they ministered to him. And the word minister in the Greek means actively serve, and it literally means kicking up dust because you're on the move. So in other words, you're moving so fast, you're always active moving so that the dust is cast up in the air, okay? 
It means caring for the needs of others as the Lord guides in an active, practical way. These, and we saw that in the, life of the, the New Testament, the Gospels talk about how these women cared for Jesus' needs and the needs of his disciples. And one more interesting thing we see here is that they, these women didn't desert, desert Jesus at the time of his crucifixion, as opposed to his disciples, who apart from John were nowhere to be found. The women were there. All those disciples said, we're going to follow you even if it means our death. We will, we, will, we will be devoted to you. All of them just ran. The women stayed, and John was there with them. Okay? So how do we as Christians, how do we share, how do we show, I'm sorry, our devotion to Christ? Let's go to Matthew 10, 38. Matthew 10, 38. And let's, I'm going to start in verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he, in verse 38, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. One way, the first way we can show our devotion to Christ is complete surrender to him, even if it means our own life. Even if we have to pay the highest price possible. To follow Christ, we were talking about it last week about being God's bond slave. Following Christ means total surrender, total obedience to him. And in verse 37, he's talking about loving him more than we love anyone else. Oswald Chambers said something that I love. He said that our love for our loved one, father, mother, wife, sister, daughter, should be hatred in comparison to the love we have for Christ. So in other words, when you compare the two loves, it is so much more Christ than our family, than our loved ones. You know, Paul, Paul Washer said something that I really liked as well. He was saying how with, you know, we tend to think Jesus is number one, and then we have wife, and then we have kids, you know. But the way it's supposed to be is Jesus is number one, two, three, four. So in other words, he's com it's complete devotion, complete allegiance to Christ more than anyone else. And that's something that the Lord, he gives us that choice to. If you choose to follow me, you have to take up your cross daily, surrender completely to me, no matter what happens. And even if you don't understand why I'm allowing something to happen, he still demands complete surrender and obedience. It's an obedience that means that even if the Lord should never tell us why, and we're okay not asking. We just obey. Total surrender to follow him. That's what it means to follow Christ. Total surrender. The second way we can show our devotion is Matthew 25. 34, we're going to look at Matthew 25, verses 34 until 40. Matthew 25, verses 34 until 40. And this is Jesus talking. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, come. 
You who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of, the, of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So we see that as we serve our brothers and sisters in faith, it's as if we're doing it, it, it is as if we're doing it to Christ. You know, James chapter 2 talks about, you know, you see a brother in need. You say, and you, let's say, for example, that they're cold. You know, they need something to keep them warm. And you say, go, go, go be warm. Or go, they're, they're hungry and say, go, go be filled, you know. But you are, we ourselves don't do something to provide for that. That's not true Christianity. We see a brother in need. We see a sister in need. And we provide for that need to the best of our ability. Let's stop using empty, empty words and say, oh, I will pray for you just to, you know, I hope you have enough food. No, go and help them with food. Help them if they're cold. If they don't have a coat, give them your coat. Let's put our Christianity in action. That's what, that's what it means to be, we, we, we provide for each other's needs. And I know that each of us have different means, but I think that all of us can still provide something. I mean, these women right here that we're talking about, they provided for the disciples and, and Christ out of their own means. They took care of him. It cost them something to do that. We should follow their example. Because remember, everything that God gives us, it's not, all, it's not for us to hoard for ourselves. It's to bless others. It's to help others. Especially here, because we take care of each other. What a, what a witness to the world if they see the church taking care of each other in that way. Especially now with the, the economic times being so hard. What an encouragement. What a witness to Christ that would be in that moment. The last thing we see, so we saw surrendering ourselves to Christ, meeting the needs of our fellow brothers and sisters. And the last way we can show our devotion to Christ is we don't leave even when it gets hard. The disciples left. Yes, it was in the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. It was prophesied that this would happen, yes. But besides John, all of them ran. Only the women stayed. And it's so easy now as a Christian in the world we're living in, with the pressures that we're under, to be tempted to leave, to be tempted to give up, to be tempted like Peter was three times to deny Christ. Are we going to stand firm with Christ even when it gets hard? Even if, we're set, if we experience circumstances we've never experienced before? Even if we are, are pressured and persecuted in ways we've never experienced before? Will we stay with him? Now let me encourage you that a true follower of Christ, the true Christian, will not leave. Because Christ holds on to him or her. The Calvinists have a, a theology called, it's part of their, the, the, their points of theology is called the perseverance of saints. Which means basically, in a nutshell, that if you are a true follower of Christ, you will persevere. There's no such thing in the Bible that you, you were once a Christian and then you left. No. If you were a true Christian, you remain. 
If you left, that means you were never a true Christian to begin with. So we should be very, very careful. We stand with Christ, no matter what they do to us. No matter what the situations we're in, we obey, we surrender, and we follow. And we can be encouraged that we have the Holy Spirit who will help us in those moments. The Lord gives us the grace to do that. Okay? So, we saw the women, their devotion to Christ, their courage, being there with them, with him, at, towards the end. I want us to look at a second character right now. Let's go back to Mark 15. I'm going to read from verses 42 to 45. Mark 15, verses 42 to 45. When evening had already come, because it was the, the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, that would have been a Friday, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time and summoned the centurion, and, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. So Joseph uh, basically goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus in order to bury it. And after Pilate confirmed that Jesus was in fact dead, he gave it to him. So who was Joseph of Arimathea? First of all, he was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council of Jews. They were the, the, the leaders of, of, of the Jewish people at the time when it came to moral and religious um, directives, commands, basically. They were, they were the religious authorities. Joseph was from the city of Arimathea. Matthew 27, 57 says he was a disciple of Jesus, but this is interesting. In John 19, 38, John adds that he was a secret one for fear of the Jews. Okay? And Luke 23, uh, verse 51 adds as well that Joseph didn't consent to the plan and action of the Jewish council regarding Jesus. Okay? So how did Joseph exhibit courage? He, asked, he boldly asked for Jesus' body from Pilate so he could bury it. And in the text here in Mark, the words gather up courage in the Greek, it means bold courage. It means to show daring courage necessary for a valid risk, or in other words, other words, putting it all on the line. It means courageously venture forward by putting fear behind and embracing the fruit that lies ahead for taking a necessary risk. So the reason Jesus... Uh, Joseph, I'm sorry, was bold and asking Pilate for Jesus' body for burial is because he risked being identified as Jesus' disciple and losing everything. If you have to, and you know, I, I mentioned to you guys in the past as well, because as a Jewish person, if you accept Jesus, you could potentially lose everything. And the main thing as a Jewish person is it's community. Family is everything. The community is everything. But the minute you accept Jesus, you risk alienating your community, alienating your family, and losing everything. And in Joseph's case, not only did he have that, but he was a prominent member of the Jewish council. That means he could have been kicked off the council altogether. Lose everything, the, the prestige, the, 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 the role, everything. Not that that is so, so important, but for him, you know, he could have lost everything. But he still did it. 
So the question, you know, we see Joseph, Joseph exhibiting courage in asking the body, asking for Jesus' body for burial. How can we, as Christians, exhibit courage? Let's go to John 15. We're going to read from verses 18 to 20. John 15, verses 18 to 20. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. John 15, 18 until 20. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. We talked about being God's bond slave last week. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will, ke they will keep yours also. This idea we have nowadays that we as a church can accommodate the world, that they will like us if we look like them, is a lie. And this scripture proves it right here. The world will hate us. The world will be offended because of our, mess of our message. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. They will hate us. We cannot expect to be, to, to be liked by the world. We are supposed to be completely different than the world. We're supposed to show them something completely different than what, than, than what they know. We will be hated. We will be persecuted because they, they persecuted Jesus. They're going to persecute us. 2 Timothy 3 says, whoever desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is a fact. That is going to happen. We have to be ready for that. Our part is, it's at work, with our families, with our friends. Do we identify as a disciple of Christ, or are we quiet because we're afraid? Would, are we willing to identify as a disciple of Christ, even if it means losing our job? Even if it means our job are doing, are doing something, are engaging in something, that is, that is evil. I had, a, I had an um, experience at work, it was in June, I work in Buckhead, so it's a little bit more of a more accepting, inclusive, liberal kind of environment, right? And one of my coworkers comes to me, and she says, and I don't know, I, <laughs> this is the first time I ever spoke with her. And she comes to me and asks me, Ob, what do you think about this whole Pride Month going on at work? You know, with homosexuality. And I told her, it is a sin, I'm a Christian, and the word of God says that is a sin, that is an abomination before, before God. And I, I reject it. It's wrong. It's evil. And I was, I was waiting to see how she would respond. If she's going to go tell my manager, if she's going to... She was like... And she whispered when she told me. She's like, yes, I believe that too. I was like, whew. <laughs> Man, I was like, whew. <laughs> I was, yeah, because I was ready for her to go tell my boss. And, get, and, and our, my, our company are getting... We have a, a, a diversity board, so they make a point about, you know, and, you know promoting that. And so I didn't know how she would respond, but... That's a small example. I mean, I'm, I'm sure all of us have examples like that. But, you know, we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to identify, even if it means losing our jobs. Because guess what? If we lose our jobs, will not God honor our obedience to him and provide for us? Yes. He will take care of us. We don't have to worry about that. We have God. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Even if they should take everything, we have everything in Christ. We don't have to worry. So we don't have to, let's not be afraid to identify as a disciple of Christ, no matter what happens, no matter what they do to us. The second thing is, 
And we're going to, hopefully, God is going to open doors for us to do that today. But it's to share the gospel with those around us. And you know why it takes courage to do that? Because every faithful presentation of the gospel starts with how sinful man is and how, as a result, God's wrath abides on them. Imagine, how would you feel if someone comes to you and says, you are a sinner and God's wrath abides on you? How would they react? But that, that, that is how, because how, how can I, what is, good, what is the good news if not God paying the price through Jesus Christ for our sins and redeeming us from hell to an eternity in heaven with him? What, it, it, the Lord saved our soul. And by accepting that, we're going to be with him in eternity. We will not be spending eternity in hell. That is the good news, that we will be with Christ. But we all, every time we share the gospel, we have to start by saying, man is sinful and God's wrath abides on you. We have to, have to bring them to a point that they understand their sinful nature, to the point that they're hopeless so they can ask the next question, what must I do to be saved? And we do that by showing them how we as human beings, not only were we born, born with a sinful nature, but also how we can't live up to God's standards. A holy God who is just, who would be just in sending us all to hell because of our sin. But he sent his son out of his love for us to die for us in our stead. And by believing in him, we would not perish but have eternal life, which is to know God and he, him who he sent, Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. That's John 17, 3. Ask God. I was talking about it last week. Colossians 4. Ask God to open doors to share the gospel with those around you. At work, with family, with friends, ask for those opportunities. We were talking about 2 Corinthians 5, that we as Christians should be appealing to the world to be reconciled to God through Christ because we're his ambassadors. We're representing Christ. Let us, let us be faithful as our Christian, in our Christian witness. Because remember, one day, we all are going to stand before God to give an account for our, for our lives. We don't have to be worried about the wrath because Christ was the propitiation for our sins. That's a sacrifice that satisfies God's wrath. That's been taken care of. We don't have to worry about that, but we still have to give an account for our lives. And I don't want to be standing before God and he, asks you, and he would ask me, why were you quiet when I asked you to speak and share? And we should not be afraid because we have the Holy Spirit with us. We talked about it last week as well. He will open our mouth. He helps us to know what to speak. We have the mind of Christ. We have what we need to understand. All of us have accepted Christ. We understand what he did for us. So share that. It doesn't have to be eloquent. Make it simple. But share. Talk about it. Let's, let's, shine, let's shine his light wherever we're at. Okay. So the last point I want us to look at, let's go back to Mark. So we saw the devo devotion of the women. We saw Joseph's courage. And finally, we're going to see, we're just going to zone in on the burial itself. Mark 15, 46 and 47. Joseph bought a linen cloth took him down, Jesus, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out, hewn out in the rock. And he, and, he and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking on to see where he was laid. 
So basically, we see jo Joseph took down Jesus' body from the cross, wrapped him in linen cloth, and buried him in a tomb. John 19, 39 until 40, adds that Nic Nicodemus assisted in the task of burying Jesus. Remember Nicodemus, Nicodemus from John 3? He had an encounter with Christ. Jesus was, t was talking to him about what it means to be born again. Okay, so this is another one who was, he was a believer, but he was quiet. He was afraid to make, an, to make an, um, a profession of faith to Christ. According to John MacArthur, um, the Jews did not embalm corpses, but wrapped them in perfumed uh, burial cloths. Matthew 27, 60 mentions that the tomb belonged to Joseph. Luke 23, 53 and John 19, 41 mention that no one had been buried in the tomb prior to Jesus. And then Jesus' burial is a fulfillment of prophecy as found in Isaiah 53, 9. You, don't, you guys don't have to turn there, but I want to read it because I find it, it's really cool how, that, how Isaiah the prophet already spoke beforehand about the suffering of Christ. Isaiah 53, 9. His grave, this is Jesus, the suffering servant, was assigned with the wicked men, yet he was with the rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. His grave was assigned with the wicked man, but the second part right there, yet he was with a rich man in his death. That is a prophecy prophesying how Jesus, foreshadowing and showing Jesus' burial. And that, you know, Joseph was a very rich man, so he gave his tomb for Jesus to be buried in. That's a biblical prophecy that was uh, fulfilled. So, Jesus, Joseph's love for Jesus drove him to give Jesus a proper burial. You do not risk everything. You do not risk being alienated from all that you know, all that you are, all those around you, if you do not love the person that you're risking for. He loved Jesus. Because of that, he, met, he took the risk, asked for Pi from Pilate the body of Christ to be buried, and did it, even if it meant losing everything. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking also to see where Jesus was buried. And Mark 16, 1, and Pastor Ron's going to talk about it next time, implies that the, why these women did that. They wanted to anoint Jesus' body. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary's love for Jesus drove them to see where Jesus was buried so they could anoint his body. So we see two things here. Joseph and, and Mary Magdalene and, 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 Mary's, and Mary, the mother of Joseph, love for Christ drove them to action. That is, a, that is a principle we see in every human relationship. I love someone, thus it will reflect it by the way I treat them and by the way I live with them, towards them. I love Jesus and it will reflect in my life, okay? So to, to build on that, so I, you, we, claim, we, we claim to follow Christ. How, what, does that love, what does that love drive us to do? What does that look like? John 14, 15. We're going to look at some points that we see here. If you guys want to turn to it, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is, that cannot be more simpler. If you love Christ, you keep his commandments. If you're not keeping your com if commandments, if your life is characterized by a consistent lack of regard for God's word, and you're not obeying him, you are not a Christian. Because a true Christian will obey. Even if he or she struggle, we all struggle, we are not perfect. 
But again, I, I always repeat it. There's a difference between complete and total rebellion and disobedience to God as opposed to struggling here and there and asking God, forgive me, I repent of, this, of, of, of what I've done, keep moving forward. There's a difference. If you claim to, be a Christ, to, to love Christ, you will obey him. That is, that is just, you can't get more simpler than that. Luke 14, 26. I'm just going to skip on this one because we talked about it already, but basically it should drive us to, ch to cherish Christ about anyone, above anyone else. We love Christ more than our mother, than our father, than our wife, than our siblings, than our children. Christ is, is, is everything. He, he demands complete love and obedience and surrender to him. The final one, Psalm 51, 4. You guys can turn to that as well. Psalm 51, 4. And as you guys are turning to this, uh, Psalm 51 is, it contextually talks about, we know da King David, he committed adultery with Queen Bathsheba. So this psalm was birthed from that place of repentance towards God because of what he did. Psalm 51.4 says, reads the following. Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's talking to God. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. So in other words, a true Christian repents. Our love for Christ drives us to repentance because we've offended him. We have grieved the Holy Spirit within us. So if we love Christ, it will drive us to repentance. And right here, verse 4 talks about it's a very important concept in the, in the Christian life, is repentance first and foremost acknowledges the fact that we've offended a righteous and holy God. That is the number one reason that we should repent. Remember that even if we hurt someone else in our sin, we first and foremost offend and hurt God. And he's the one we should first and foremost seek to repent from. Seek repentance from, I'm sorry. That is ABC of, of, of the Christian life. And like I said earlier, a Christian who claims to be a Christian but lives a life of sin without repentance, who continuously desires to do that without seeking to stop it or ask for help or seek things that he or she needs to do, I doubt if you're a Christian to believe, believe with because a true Christian's life is not characterized by continuous sin. Even if you struggle, you get up and move forward. But you, you do what you need to do to change things, yes. But if you don't repent, knowing that that is wrong before God and you continue to do that without, with, with complete disregard for him and his word, I doubt if you're ever a Christian to begin with. Because remember, we as a Christian, we, we, we claim to be a Christian, we show it by the way we live. And the people we read about today, Joseph and the, the women, they showed it by the way they lived, by risking everything for Christ, by providing for him, the women, in the case for the women, out of their own means. And Joseph really as well, that was his tomb. He gave it from himself. So let us live lives that follow our declaration of faith in Christ. So to conclude, the women who followed Jesus were devoted to him. Joseph showed courage in asking for Jesus' body for burial. 
their love for Christ drove them to action. May their example spur us towards a life of complete and courageous devotion to our Lord. Okay? So I asked uh, Emily if she's going to play Purify Our Hearts. And we're going to have a ministry time now. The altar is open. So if you wish to come up here and pray, I'm going to pray right now. And I'll finish out as well towards the end the, the ministry time. And also, guys, before we leave, there's one more thing we wanted to do. So if you guys can just wait one minute after ministry time, it's going to be quick. So we'll, and we'll let you know uh, what that is. Okay? So, Lord, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you, Lord, for the examples in Scripture, Lord, that help us to grow in our walk with you, Lord, that teach us through their mistakes or their triumphs, Lord, what it means to truly follow you, Lord. I pray, Father, that our devotion will be so apparent that people will look at us and say and ask, what is different with you? May our love for you drive us to action, Father. May our courage cause us to risk everything, even if it means our own lives, Lord. Because, Father, you are worth it. You, Lord, gave up your only son to die for our sins. Jesus, you gave up our, your, your life for us. No one will ever do anything like that for us. So, Lord, may we reflect that in our lives, in our love, in our devotion, in our courage for you, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is open, guys. Whoever wants to come up and...